Let's pray. Father, I I just come to you this morning and thank you for that amazing love which reached down and plucked me out of my own sin, plucked me out of my own arrogance, my own legalism. Lord, it is truly amazing, God, to think about the helpless race of Adam. Oh, and what a helpless race we are. And Lord, as I look at this text, as we go into this word that you have given us, God, give me a fear. Give me a tremble. Give me a boldness. Lord, because you know it is much needed in this current state that we're in. This word that you have given us, this specific word that you gave to the Galatians so long ago that you would, it is still so much needed today. Nothing has changed with this helpless race, God. I pray, Lord, that I would honor it as I bring it forth. In Jesus' name, amen. About 16 years ago, I sat on a pew in an old country church, and one of the leaders of that church turned around and asked me, he said, Justin, if you commit fornication, are you going to heaven? And I did not have an answer. I didn't know. I don't know was my answer. Uh, Actually, my answer was probably more like, I I, I don't know. I didn't know. And he said, well, if you don't do all the things that God has told you to do, are you going to heaven? I, I, I don't know. And he says, well, if it's not for that, why do them? Why do all these things that God has told us to do if it's not to gain heaven? And again, I did not know the answer to that. I was in a church that I grew up in, not the specific church, but a religion that I grew up in. And when I left there, I had way more questions than when I got there that night. It was a meeting. And I, I was not saved. I'll kind of spoil it for you. I was not a believer. I thought I was a believer and had a lot of arrogance in it. And when I left there, I realized I just got, I was just pondering on it, thinking about it, thinking about it. I was raised in a way where the Word of God was held in very high esteem. It's according to the Word of God, but it was misused. And I, I was just thinking, okay, what about those questions that I couldn't answer? And I was more disturbed with the fact that I couldn't answer with actually the answer to the questions. 
why, why couldn't I answer those? I should be able to answer those. And I got to thinking I had never read through a book of the Bible. Never read through a complete book. A lot of you have heard this. It's part of my major, te- I mean, big part of how God saved me. If you've heard my testimony, you've heard this. But I'd never read through a whole book of the Bible. And so I thought, I'm going to do it. I'm going to pick a book and I'm going to read through it. I want to know what it says. I had always read pieces here, pieces there. If you were in equipping hour this morning, you know the danger in that. Taking things out of context. Well, that's what my Christian life was based on. So (laughs) I very pragmatically chose a book. God very sovereignly chose a book for me. I thought, I'm going to read through a book. Okay. Now, I know me. So I'm not going to pick like the Psalms because I won't finish it, right? I wanted to pick something short enough that I would actually finish it. And, but I didn't want to pick like Jude because that's lame. So I'm just kind of thumbing through there. Hey, Galatians is like, you know, it's six chapters. It's, that'll be a good one to start with. <laughs> that was, that's how my mind thought I was choosing Galatians. Whereas, as I read through Galatians, by the time I got to the end of it, when I was actually I was thinking, is this what's in the whole Bible? Is this? I mean, looking back at it now, it's incredible that God takes the book that just destroys legalism, probably as much as any other book. I mean, that's exactly what Paul is addressing in Galatians, and that's the one that I read because it was I was I was. Basing my relationship with God based on my performance, based on my works. And so as we look now at this book of Galatians, I pray that um, we will gain wisdom, we will gain application, we will gain truth of how the gospel works, how God works in our lives through this book. So it, it's, I, I've never actually, it's amazing, that's the first book I ever read, and I've never actually preached through Galatians. I did teach kind of a survey through it a long time ago in more of a teaching setting, but I've never preached it. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it a lot, and I hope that um, we all benefit from it. A little background of the book of Galatians. It was written by Paul, the Apostle. Um, probably a lot, most, most people agree that this was probably Paul's first epistle that he wrote. And so it's interesting to see a little bit of difference in the way this one's written and some of the others later on. Um, of course, you know, Paul, as with all Christians, grew in his walk with Christ as he matured in Christ, right? And so there's some differences, but this one is, um, it's written to, it's probably written around, um, I don't know, maybe 49 or 50 A.D. Nobody knows exactly. But it's written to the Galatians, the churches, which are in Galatia. Um, and Paul, you guys know a lot about Paul, so I'll give a brief background of him. But he was raised in a region very close to this region. This is This is kind of his... Close to his homeland. Um, and, and of course he was a Pharisee. Trained under the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a very well known. Well regarded. 
teacher, rabbi in Israel, and Paul was educated under his feet. Paul was also highly educated in um, the Greek culture, and he, he was an extremely highly educated man, but he was also a Pharisee, um, which meant he was very much um, a keeper of the law. You would find very few men in that time that took the law, the law of Moses I'm talking about, more seriously than Paul or Saul at the time, right? He was, he was a Pharisee. He, he held others to, a, to an esteem, um, to that same esteem. Um, then, of course, he was persecuting the church. He held the law in such high regard. It was, the, it was at Paul's hand, it was at Paul's condonance or his authority that the first martyr that we have recorded, Stephen, was stoned to death. Paul gave the, the okay to that. And he was binding and putting Christians in prison. And I don't know how many others were put to death at his um, authority. And then, of course, he was on the road to Damascus where he met our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And everything changed. And then after his conversion, Paul made several missionary journeys across the Middle Eastern region. The region of where Galatia is uh, was in that first missionary journey. And he planted, um, he preached the gospel. As a result of his preaching the gospel, churches were planted all across the area what we would call Galatia. Matter of fact, and, and there's, some, there's some disagreement exactly where this is talking about. Um, there's the northern part, which was actually Galatia. And then later when Rome conquered, conquered it in 64 B.C., um, they added a province of Galatia kind of on the southern end. And that's where Paul's missionary journey actually went through. And while he was there, he planted churches in the cities of Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And I personally think that's the churches that he is writing to. Was there more churches in the northern part? It's possible. And it would have included them. It would have been passed on. But it was written to those churches which he had founded. And it was written a very short time after he found it. So picture it like this. Paul goes on this journey and Galatia is like modern day Turkey. Over there in kind of the Mediterranean area. He goes through this journey and he plants, he, and it, he plants these churches in, in these cities all through this area. And he plants it based according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then shortly after, year, two years, three years, we don't know exactly, he gets word that, the, all the, that these churches that he had planted were changing, that their beliefs were changing. They were being challenged and things were not, they were not holding to the gospel which Paul had originally preached. That's what the purpose of this book is. And we should keep that in mind as we go forward. This is the only epistle that Paul writes that he that um, he addresses multiple churches. It's the only one that's all of them. So something was going on in the region that was affecting all of these churches. Um, it's also the only epistle that Paul wrote that he does not give a commendation 
for the readers. He doesn't commend them for what's going on, anything. He immediately goes to the problem. And I think the reason is it demonstrates the urgency which Paul is addressing this. This problem that he's dealing with here is more urgent than the problems he was dealing with in Corinth. And if you know anything about Corinth, they had some real issues. This is more urgent. This, is, this situation is more serious. Paul's frustration with this is at a higher level than it was with some of the problems in Corinth. And I think we can learn from that um, as pastors and as Christians in how sometimes we, we categorize sin in ways that aren't really the way Paul or Jesus would have categorized them. And, the, and so as we go through this, the main theme of the book is justification by faith. And that's why it's so amazing that, it, it, that God led me to this book. I, I had a note in my old King James Bible. I remember writing it. I remember just reading it and thinking. And I had a note over on the margin that just said, it's all about faith. It was a realization to me that I had not realized, and that exact, that's exactly what we hope to see in this. So let's look at Galatians, the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Paul makes it very clear here. That he was not some man appointed by some men. This was not an earthly call. This was not an earthly office. He was appointed not from men, but through Jesus Christ. What does this mean? His words have authority. His words as an apostle is like Jesus speaking Himself. And that's important to understand as a proper hermeneutic. The epistles, the entire Word of God is the same. It doesn't matter if it's in red or not. It's the words of Christ coming through the apostles. It's the words of the Holy Spirit who, pen, who, who wrote the Bible, the Word of God. And Paul says, I am not from men. I'm not appointed by men. I'm appointed by Christ. In 1 Corinthians 9.1, he says, Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? So it's important that we understand what an apostle is. And a very simple, direct explanation of what an apostle is, is one who has seen the risen Lord, and we're talking about in person. He met him on the road to Damascus. The other apostles were there when Christ was resurrected. Right? They saw that with their eyes. They were an eyewitness to that account. It's, but not everybody who saw the risen Lord was an apostle. Right? So it was somebody who saw the risen Lord and has been sent by Him. Directly called out by Christ to be an apostle for Christ. Paul was one of those. 
He was an apostle. That's why we have such an issue with people that claim to be apostles today. They weren't there. They were not eyewitnesses of Christ's resurrection like these other apostles were. He goes on here and he states the gospel. He said, basically he's saying, Jesus is the one I represent. He has demonstrated his power by dying on a cross. He demonstrated his power by coming out of the grave. Now that's what you have to keep in mind. And that's what we should always keep in mind when we're studying any scripture is the gospel. Jesus Christ dying, being buried, resurrected on our behalf. If we keep that in mind, we should always have that in mind. The power that he demonstrated by coming out of the grave. Look at verse 2. He says, And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. And I find that interesting. It's so easy when we, when we do introductions, when we read the introductions to the epistles, it's so easy to just kind of read over them. A lot of times when you're reading, if, and, and this part, when I read it the first time, I just read, I just read through this. It, didn't, it did not strike a chord with me until later on as I got down in it. But when we look at the introductions, there's still things that we need to learn. Look at this. He says, all the brothers who are with me. What does that mean? Paul is, has other Christians, other Christian brothers with him. We don't know where he was, but he's not, he, he's not writing this without other people looking at it. Even though he's an apostle, even though he's being guided by the Holy Spirit, he's saying all these other brothers, they agree with what this says. We're all in agreement here on this particular book or letter, in this case, that I'm writing you. In verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I think the reason that when we hear things like that, it doesn't affect us more is because we have forgotten we have not stopped and meditated enough on who Christ is. Who the God is. The one who gave you life. The one who controls all things. I was thinking as we were singing and it talked about a king. I thought if we just understood more about kings and how are or, or approaching the throne, how, how amazing that really is. We, I don't know that we understand it. Because we don't have a king. We've never been under a king in this country. But when you're in a country and there's a king, you don't get to talk to him. And it's similar with us. It's not like I can call up the president. Say, hey, I think you should do this. Hey, could you send me a little money? No, you, you don't have access to him. But it's, even then, even then it's different. Because the throne in, in a kingdom, when a king is sitting on the throne and he is in full control of that country... He is sovereign over that country. And you say something wrong, what would happen? In a lot of cases, he had the authority to put you to death right there. There was a tremble. There was a fear when you approached the throne of a king. And now we can approach it boldly? Right? It says, grace to you and peace from God our Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though the Galatians were in great error, so great of error, he doesn't commend them. He doesn't mention the good things that's going on. He's going straight to the problem, but before he goes to the problem, he says, grace to you. God wants you to have peace. And part of the reason for the correction that is coming is so that they can have peace. Because as we'll see with the things that they're getting into, um, there was no way that they had peace. There was no way that they could have had peace. They had turmoil. They had a conflict. And I understand the conflict very well when you talk about legalism. When you're talking about trying to earn God's favor. When you're talking about trying to impress God. You can't impress God. Right? But that, that was the goal. And if you're trying to attain that, then you're not going to have peace. But he's saying, have grace. Have peace. From the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God, the will of our God, who gave himself for our sins. He died for our sins, which is something we hear a lot. We hear over and over, Christ died for our sins. He gave himself for our sins. Jesus died for our sins, right? But he says something else here that we don't hear near as much. We don't talk about near as much. We're used to hearing it's for our salvation. And we think about that as our eternal salvation, right? He died so that we can gain heaven. He died so that we could be saved from the wrath of God. He died so that we would not have to go to hell. All very, very true. But he goes and look at the next part. He says, to deliver us from the present evil age. We don't talk near as much about this. But what does this mean? What, what is the present evil age? I thought about looking up all kinds of statistics. I started to look up all the headlines of today's newspapers and show you our present evil age. And that would have been easy to do. But the reality is I don't have to tell you any of that. You guys all know that. You know that we're living in a present evil age. But the truth is, the evil age Paul is talking about, that they're living in, they were living in it then, we're living in it now. And it's not like it's, we can show you all the headlines now and it's that much worse than it was then. Just consider, back in Matthew 14, you want to talk about evil? It's been evil from the get-go. Matthew 14, Herod, King Herod. Has a woman come in and dance for him. We don't, the, the dance isn't described in complete detail, but it's a, it's a good enough dance that he says, I'll give you anything you want. Probably not a clean dance, right? And what does she say? I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. Well, he had already he had told her he would do it, so now he's got to do it. 
So what's he do? He kills John the Baptist, cuts his head off, and puts it on a platter and has it delivered to her. You get that picture in your mind? Was that evil? Absolutely it was evil. Speaking of a king, and have, you have a, a fear of them. They have that power. They had that power. You go on, and, and Paul's addressing Corinthians later, just a little after Galatians. And he says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And of a kind that is not even tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. Is that wicked? Do we think it's getting worse today than it was then? What about Nero? Anybody know about Nero? I talked about him some when I went through Peter. He would take Christians, just because they were Christians, dip them in pine tar, and use them to light the gardens of his palace. He would burn them. The entire Colosseum, even though it's glorified in the movies today, was mainly there to persecute Christians. They would turn them to lions and they would devour them. Many of the reformers burned at the stake, beheaded, whatever it was. Why? For just because of their faith. Today, go across the go across the world, and Muslims are actively cutting people's heads off for believing in Christ. And right here in our own country, we're slaughtering babies legally. It has been passed by law, and there's other people that will defend it. With a passion. They'll defend it with a, with a vengeance. Why? Why? It's an evil age. We live in an evil age. The evil age started when Adam sinned in the garden and God put a curse on mankind. That's why this, help, this, this race of Adam is so helpless. Why is the age evil? Why is it so wicked? Why do we live in such a terrible time? Turn to Micah 7. And I'll show you why. Micah chapter 7. Starting in verse 2, he says, The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them. This is the best. The best of mankind is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman, of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Turn over to Mark chapter 7. Mark 7 verse 21 says, For from within... Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, 
coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. There is none righteous, no, not one. This age that we live in is evil because the men and the women who live in it are evil. But as it says in Ephesians, but God. He could have left us to that. He could have left this helpless race of Adam to die in our own squirming blood. But instead, it says, but Christ died to deliver us from this present evil age. John seventeen fifteen says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Still, one of the most amazing things about Christ, one of the most amazing things about the gospel, after your salvation, after he has called you, after he has changed your heart, he takes you, he takes me, an evil, wicked sinner, with nothing from within except for Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. That's what's in our heart. He takes that. And He saves you. It's called being born again. It's called regeneration. He changes your heart. He takes those things. He takes out that heart of stone. He gives you a heart of flesh. He changes your will. He changes you from within. The Holy Spirit comes in and now lives. And so one of the most amazing things is He takes you and He leaves you right here in this evil age. He leaves you in this wicked world and He keeps you saved. He keeps you for Himself. That is amazing. And yes, He is the one that keeps you. It is not because of you. If it was because of you, you would fail because here's what you have, right? Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery. And if you don't doubt, if you are doubting that this is who you are, first off, you may have not really come to grips with who you are and who Christ is. Secondly, just start to ponder on your thought life. Start to think through what kind of thoughts still, even now, after being regenerated, still come into your mind. But the, the person who you were before you were saved... Think about the thoughts that you had. Ronnie's, I've heard him preach it several times, especially at the prison. He would talk about, what if we took every thought you ever had and put it on display on a YouTube video? I remember Miles McKee, see if I can get this quote right. He said, if you knew me like I know me, you wouldn't hear you would not listen to anything i said you would run out of here then he said if i knew you like you know you it'd be the same way right our inner thoughts our fleshly thoughts especially before christ were wicked but he came to deliver us from this evil age he came to take you and make you a light amongst the evil. 
He left you here for a purpose. And that is incredible. We are being used by the King. How amazing is that? How amazing is it to be to have the privilege to serve the King, to serve in His courts, to serve in His army? And that's what He's done. He says, He has delivered us from this present evil age. And He doesn't mean delivered us by taking us out of it. No, He's leaving us here so that we can be a part of delivering others from that evil age. But if you're not saved, you're blinded by this evil. If you're not saved today, you don't understand what I'm talking about. If you're not saved today, you may be sitting there thinking, well, I'm not that bad. If you're thinking, I'm not that bad, then you have not come to the realization of how perfect and holy Jesus Christ is. And if you haven't come to this realization that you're evil and He's holy, then you may not be saved. And you need to think about these things. You need to ponder on this, and then you need to repent. But to those who have trusted in Christ, our eyes have been opened. And we're no longer children of this darkness. And we're no longer a part of this evil age. You have been removed from it spiritually, but you're left in it physically. We've been given a taste and a sight of a better way. Look at Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews 6 verse 5 says, And have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. We have been delivered from this evil age. Why? Why would God choose to deliver us? And I, I mean... Hopefully the majority of people in here are part of this. Why you? Why me? It's because it's the will of God. And then, not only just because of its, His will, He has a purpose for His will. And it's for His glory. And the skeptic and the, and the atheist will scoff at that. Oh, so they, they see that as some sort of arrogance or some sort of uh, condescending type thing. Well, the reality is God does things for His glory because He's the only one that actually deserves glory. It's 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 holiness. And it's to demonstrate His attributes. That's the reason all of this is happening. That's the reason all of this is there. That's the reason He chose to save mankind, even though He didn't have to. Right? It was so that He could demonstrate His glory. It's so that He could demonstrate His mercy and His grace. If there was no... And He could have. 
Do you think, have you stopped and pondered if God would not have chose to save the human race? If when Adam sinned, God could have cursed mankind and said, all of you are born into sin, you've all gone astray, you're all going to sin, and every one of us did, every one of us has, and he could say, I send you no redeemer. You will die in your sin and my wrath will be poured out on you. And he would have been completely justified in that. Justice would have been served. But he never would have demonstrated his great mercy and his great grace. And as we go on into Galatians, that's what we're going to discover. That's what we're going to discover through the book of Galatians is you cannot do it. It's only through Christ and through faith in Christ that it would be done. Verse 5, he says, To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And as we go through the book of Galatians, the question that I had to ask myself going into this, the question I had to ask myself 16 years ago when I read this book, was in my economy, in my belief system, in this system that I have established or that I've been taught or whatever it is, who gets the glory? And this will go long, this will go way past. Now, I mean, when Paul's writing the book of Galatians, he is going to specifically be speaking to people who have been Judaized or people that are trying to bring Christians back under the law of Moses. But it, it goes well beyond that. As we heard this morning, the application in our current age is very, very much needed. And here's why. There is a great pride in our country. Um, not in the country, but in the people in our country in that a earning your way. And it's not necessarily bad in, in some areas, but we have this performance-based attitude about everything. Parents love their kids more when they perform well. I'm not saying that's what you should do. You shouldn't. Because you'll be disappointed. But that's... it's. I mean, we have a sports-saturated culture. Right? Whereas if you go out and perform good on the field today, then you're going to be rewarded well and you're going to get a lot of praise and attaboys. You're going to get a lot of attention and you're going to be more popular. And if you perform bad, then you're going to not get all those praises and performances. And parents, I'll just warn you, don't, don't base your attitude towards your kids based on performance, whether it be sports or whether it be anything else. Work hard, yes, but as we look at that, it bleeds over into our Christianity. It bleeds over into our walk with Christ. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be in a legalistic religion to, for this to apply to you, okay? So keep that in mind as we go forward. It's not just about that, although it is certainly about that. You're going to find out that you're saved by grace through faith, period. But you're also going to find out that with your individual walk with Christ, 
is not based on your performance. It's based on his performance. And I think that we all need, we all have a tendency to do that. If you don't, I'd like to talk to you afterwards and find out your secret. Because if you don't have a tendency to say, man, I've really failed this week. Christ may not accept my prayers as readily. That's a problem. We have that. We have that tendency within us. And that's, what, that's where we're also going to learn from the book that Paul wrote there. So keep that in mind. I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to getting deep into this book and the, the truths that are within it. And I pray that we would draw closer to Christ for his glory and for his honor. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I thank you, God, that um, so long ago. You used this book in such a mighty way in my life. And God, I just pray you'll use it in a mighty way again um, in my life and in anyone else who hears this. Lord, that uh, we would truly remember, that we would be put into remembrance of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and that we would have a faith increased and strengthened in Christ. Lord, I pray if there's any sitting here today who think or maybe have thought, yeah, I'm not I'm not so bad. Lord, that you would just cause conviction to come on them. Send your Holy Spirit to them that their eyes may be opened. Lord, I pray for <clears throat> even as we take communion together, that we would be put in remembrance of this grace and that our fellowship this afternoon uh, would be fellowship in that grace and in Christ. In his name I pray. Amen.